Okay, great. The next person we're going to hear from is Chad Weston. Let's give Chad a round of applause. We'll do the same thing with Chad. If everyone feels that they want to stretch out their arms, we're going to all pray for Chad at the same time. So let's do that together. One, two, three, let's pray. Amen. Thank you. Wow, it's bright here, isn't it? Uh, my name is Chad, then, uh, as you all now know. Uh, I'm married to Andrea, who isn't here yet, hopefully will be shortly. Uh, and uh, she is uh, the most amazing woman I could ever hope for for a wife. And um, I, we also have three amazing kids, Isaac Joshua, uh, Natasha Hope, and uh, Toby Malachi. And um, I think I went on a slight journey uh, quite similar in a way, just at the start of thinking about it, got the email and thought, okay, what could this be about? I honestly, didn't do very much with it. Very sorry, being accountable to you guys. But, um, but let it dwell in my heart for a little while. And, uh, and I too thought a little bit about, do I actually know what hope is? Do I distinguish it from faith? Aren't they the kind of same thing? And as you look into the, into the word a bit and you, you kind of read different things, it starts to percolate and filter things through. And I think I only had a, probably a revelation of it about an hour ago, or maybe even less. So um, I'm hoping it's right, otherwise you can all just laugh at me. So um, I, uh, I work, uh, I, have an almost, I have a four days a week job at the uh, Children's Hospital Charity in Sheffield, so I fundraise for the hospital. Uh, and in that hospital, we, um, we are in a war against sickness. And uh, we win some battles, and we have great successes. Uh, we lose some battles which are gutting, and uh, we have some, and lots of battles seem to be unsatisfactory in their outcomes, if I'm being honest. And as I pray for kids, as I pray for staff, as I pray for uh, the team around me in the, in the charity, I want to see more happen, honestly. Um, I want to see more success, and, um, and, and my faith says that that will come. So just a very quick straw poll, who has who was born into a Christian family here? Hands up. Okay, hands down. Who was born not into a Christian family? Wow. Okay, Christian families way outnumber non-Christian families. Um, those that were born into Christian families, I admire you guys so much. I think it's, you know, I, I didn't have that. But I really admire you because you have stuck with a journey of faith and you have persevered all the way through your lives, and you haven't had often that kind of the other side of things. And uh, if I look at my wife, Andrea, what I see is a lady of extraordinary faith, but who also battles constantly with wondering what hope is in her. What is, what is her faith? What is her hope? Um, I was born into a family that were pretty much atheist, and, um, and I had a fairly dramatic conversion back in 1999, and I can promise you that one day in God's courts is truly better than a thousand elsewhere. Um, because I was hopeless. I had no deep-rooted knowledge of, of a father that loved me. I had no idea that people would care and be kind. I had no idea that people wouldn't judge you. And, um, and I came here to Sheffield for a weekend to visit some friends. And, uh, and started to fall in love with the hope that they had in them. And, uh, and some of those people are in the room. Thank you. So, 
Hope is where you put your trust in God's promises for the future. Faith is when we put our trust in what God has done in the past a little bit. I read that, and I was thinking, is that true? And what does that mean? And I was thinking, well, what's my faith? My faith is that Jesus is my saviour, that he died on the cross, that happened in the past, and all his promises from the past will come true in the future. That's the hope, isn't it? It's pretty confusing stuff. I'm looking for a nod from the theologians on the front. And, um, and it made me think, yeah. And then um, if you look at Romans 8, and it says, uh, for in this hope uh, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? And that's uh, verse 24 in Romans 8. And I was thinking, what are all the things I hope for in the, in the worldly sense? I hope that my football team will win. Uh, it's not the Toffees. You know, I hope for my kids will do well. I hope for a bigger house. You know, all these things that become wishy and washy a little bit, but actually aren't rooted in Jesus. I mean, they're not bad things, but they're not actually centered on the King of Kings. They're not right there deep down on the promises that God has given us, eternal life, heaven, transformation, healings from sickness, provision in our lives. Those are the things. That's what hope is, I think. And um, my job means that I, uh, I get to meet lots of people, and I tell story all the time, and I uh, have the privilege of doing that for the charity. I'm, I'm kind of a spokesperson kind of person. So I go out, and I meet loads and loads and loads of people who are really wealthy and are very successful in businesses. And what I see is a direct general correlation. The wealthier, the more successful, the more hopeless they are in some ways. The more frustrated, the more annoyed, the more stuff they have the less satisfied, the more nice cars, great holidays, generally the worse the marriage, all those kind of things. It's, it's the stuff that we kind of read about in nice Christian books and stuff, but I promise you, it's the, I see it all the time. It's not that these things are bad in themselves, but generally what I see is that people become slaves to the desire for them rather than being masters of them. Slaves to money, not masters to money. But um, when you have hope, then you can change that all around and you can be the light in that place. You can be transformation to those people. So I became a Christian in 99, but honestly, I didn't become a son really till about 12 years later. I could kind of speak the language, I could preach, I could talk about it, I could be in my giftings, I could prophesy and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the privilege of preaching in different countries. But honestly, I wasn't a son. I knew it in my head. I knew the technical language of it but it hadn't filtered through at all. It's a journey, and I think hope is also a journey of faith. This is going to get very convoluted, isn't it? A journey of faith to know that the promises of God are absolutely true in every single aspect of our lives. And that is amazing, because it's written down for us. It's written in the word, black and white, truth. And there is a discipline in that to delve into the word, which I am very, very poor at. There's a discipline to hang on to it every day, to learn it, and uh, I know that some of you are great warriors in the word and are great encouragers to me, but um, I'm holding my hands up, hand up and saying that I am not one of them. But, um, but I want you to hold me accountable and I want you to push me into hoping for more in the word of God. So hope drives our values. And do we have our values in other things apart from what Jesus says? As a fundraiser... I have learned my trade. I didn't, it's not, it, 
It's not something I'm... Do I need an... Have I got a time warning here? Yes. Right, thank you. So money follows relationship, and relationship follows trust, and trust follows investment in time in people. That's my thinking of what my job is. And I have to think, do I have my values in the right thing every single day? And so often I don't. I do want other things. I do want more money. I want to go out for dinner more. I want to have a better car. I want to have a house with a bigger garden. I want more bedrooms. All those kind of things. I want my kids to do more things. But actually, is that the right thing to be hoping for? And it is a... Uh, I am a poor specimen of a Christian at times. But my hope, honestly, is that I will die well, quickly, every single day to the desires that Jesus has for me. And that might seem like a very weird thing to say. My hope is that I will die well because I want to be honest before Christ on that day of judgment and say, this is what I have done. This is who I was. And it's about being, it's not actually about doing. And um, for the feelers in the room, for the Fs in Myers-Briggs language, it's easier than for the, uh, the Ts. Uh, and I'm an F. I'm very thankful for that. God's grace. So, a very convoluted talk about absolutely nothing at all, but it's wasted seven minutes. So, what's the deal? So, you know, the first 12 years of coming into Sonship, and I knew about hope, and I had it there, but actually, the thing for me was, at that point, I lost, I think, or started to lose the fear of man. I didn't worry about what the people thought. I didn't think, oh, I need to please someone else. I need to look like this. I need to do this for them. I just started to, it just disappeared slowly but surely out of me. And so that gives me opportunities to be bold and brazen. It means that I can be in a large meeting room with a few hundred people, but if the Holy Spirit's directing me, I have no problems with laying my hands on someone in public. I don't care if that brings humiliation. It doesn't really matter because if I believe in that hope of what we have been told, then I know that this life is but the blink of an eye in eternity. So we need to live it that way. That doesn't mean we don't take responsibility for this time, or, and, I, and I've certainly not done that at times. It doesn't mean that we just shy away from those things. But it does mean that we live with that perspective. So my challenge, I guess, is do we have that perspective? Do each of you have that perspective? Now, I haven't got it nailed, but I'm on the journey of it. Do we live as though this life is but the blink of an eye and thus we don't need to worry too much about the consequences of it except in the eternal realm except in the eternal aspect of it because that's the master we're aiming to please that's this that's the that's the dad who loves us approves of us forgives us hugs us laughs with us that's that's the guy i want to be with that's the challenge there we are. Didn't say anything I meant to. It's great. Thanks, Chad. Right, we're going to take 30 seconds. Allow the Holy Spirit to be speaking to you. What's the Holy Spirit um, revealing to you off the back of what Chad's just said? And then we'll move on to our next uh, speaker. Okay, let's welcome our final speaker, Joe McInnes, everyone.
So we're going to do the same thing. If you feel comfortable, why don't you stretch out your hand and we're all going to pray for her together after the count of three. A little bit louder this time. Didn't really hear you that time very well last time. Okay? Three, two, one, let's pray. Amen. Over to you, Joe. Thanks. Hi, everyone. So I'm Joe McInnes. I actually lead the worship team here at Philadelphia. So it's great to be able to talk to you today. Uh, I'm married to Nathan, and I'm a mum to three beautiful boys whose pictures will appear. That's Finley, Micah, and James. And I want to talk today about holding on to hope, even in life's toughest times. And I am warning you that it's not a very comprehensive, neatly tied up package. But I don't think that's what real life looks like anyway. So it's just some thoughts and reflections that I've walked out in my life, especially over the last few years. So, three years ago, my life changed. We woke up one morning to discover that our beautiful boy James had died in his sleep. And he was three at the time. Finley was one. It's hard to convey what the next few weeks of our lives look like, partly because I can't remember it very well. But to say we were devastated is an understatement. When we called the ambulance, I made a half-hearted prayer for God to bring James back, but I knew in my heart it was too late. We had to call family and friends. My parents were about to board a plane to New Zealand and deliver news that we could barely comprehend ourselves. Or I should say Nathan did. I was completely incapacitated. Our wonderful friends arrived immediately and took over all the things that I didn't know needed to happen and played with Finley while we went to hospital with James. The ride in the ambulance with James on my lap was the strangest and probably one of the most awful things I've ever had to do, although that time was full of doing awful things. I remember feeling angry at the hospital that the doctor looking after us wouldn't talk about James in the past tense. His death was all too real to me, and I didn't understand why the doctor was patronising me. The team that look after the children who have died at the children's hospital are amazing, and they brought us peace. They have a special and blessed and awful job. The lady chose the perfect pyjamas to put on James, and we went to see him. Being in that room was both peace and torment. Our wonderful church leaders all visited us at home, and Nathan and I joked about how many vicars we could fit in our house in the space of a few days, and I distinctly remember asking Mike to come up to James's room to pray with us. I didn't want to be scared of that space. I didn't want the enemy to win. But don't think highly of me for this. I'm not super spiritual. For most of my story, the examples I give you, I can only explain as instinct. It was what we needed to do. When Nick and Marjorie Allen visited us, I knew that God had shown me a song that was for us called Beauty for Ashes. So in our lounge, huddled up together crying, we sang, God of the new beginnings, God of the second chance, your grace an endless river, your love an avalanche. There in my darkest moment, all hope burnt to the ground. That's where your mercy found me. That's where your love came down. You turned my mourning into dancing. You turn my sorrow into praise. You give me beauty for ashes. The night he died, we did not really sleep. 
I was scared of the darkness that had entered our house. And I remember sitting outside his door, crying, unable to go in, but not able to walk away. I couldn't understand what had happened, why it had happened, whether I could have done anything to prevent it. I just couldn't comprehend that our boy, who was so happy and lively and fun, wasn't there. So the shock was massive, and I felt alternately numb and all too raw. We went to the hospital to say goodbye to James the next morning with Andy and Amron Stone and played that song, Beauty for Ashes, with him. I can't really explain well the urge to worship in that moment, to cling to God, to want to believe so much that he was somehow in it. But we did actually leave feeling peaceful. I knew I didn't need to see James's body again, and I knew that the body wasn't him. I knew he was in heaven. We didn't come to Philly that day because it would have been too difficult, but we did choose to go to another church, and standing there, singing with my brother and sister-in-law, who'd come up as soon as it had happened, crying together, was beautiful and heartbreaking. We went for a walk in the botanical gardens afterwards and saw the immense beauty of God's creation. And I can't explain it, but we felt peace. Again, all of that kind of makes us sound a bit super spiritual, but we're not. <laughs> I think reflecting on it for this talk, it was God's gift of grace to us at the time, that our relationship with him, Nathan and I were both brought up in Christian homes and been Christians since we were kids, still drew us to him. But that's not to say it was always our experience. The first week we came back to church, the first song we came into was, And I'll sing because you are good, and I'll shout because you are good. I wept. <laughs> I could not sing those words. But do you know what? I needed you to sing it for me. Don't underestimate the power and impact of corporate worship. And again, reflecting back, worship was my anchor throughout. I couldn't sing the songs about how much I loved God or that I wanted deep intimacy with him. But I found I could and needed to sing and hear the truth. He is faithful. He is who he says he is. Death is defeated. Death couldn't hold Jesus. Death, where is your sting? Our resurrected king has rendered you defeated. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory because you're raised to life again. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. The truth in those songs, written on biblical truth, reminded me who my hope is in, even when I couldn't really understand it. Before James died, he'd really gotten into drawing rainbows, and he just loved them. And every time we saw one together, we'd say, thank you, Jesus, you always keep your promises. And this phrase kept coming back to me when James died. We kept seeing rainbows in the sky, including the day of his funeral. And again, being real, I couldn't understand it. Why was God saying that? He gave us promises for James's life, and then it felt like he took him away from us. We'd named him James Nehemiah, and Nehemiah means God comforts. What do you do with that? <laughs> I had a lot of angry, shouting, crying, arguing matches with God. And to be upfront, I found him to be silent, but present. I can't really explain it, but I think it was in the first few days experiencing God's silence that I told him he was still okay to be with me, but I wanted him to be in the corner. 
I wanted him to stand over there. And God was kind, and he listened. Over the years, I've invited him closer. So a while ago, I said, okay, you can come next to me now. A few months ago, okay, we can hold hands now. And this year, come on then, let's go, God. God is respectful of our boundaries, and you don't have to pretend everything's okay. You've got choices. I had an unwavering belief that James was now in heaven. I think he knew it too. We found some of his writings after he died. Jesus keeps all of us in this house. And I knew that God was with us and with him. So when James died, I suddenly felt like I had one foot in heaven because my boy was there. Trying to find the language to talk to people about James dying is really hard. But to talk to my kids about him is even harder. But I felt a lot of peace when I landed on James lived in our house and now he lives in heaven. Preparing for James's funeral, we knew we wanted to include the verse from Thessalonians. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. And in fact, this is the inscription on James's headstone. And the first thing you see is you drive up to his grave. At his funeral, we had worship that spoke of God's character. We turned the rainbows he'd drawn into fabrics to cover his coffin. And we sent rainbow balloons up to heaven, a reminder to us that God keeps his promises, even if I don't know what that means. And we also made a video of James's life. And as part of that, we found a video of him walking down the street with our friend. Here he is singing. Death is not the end of you. 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 Death is not. The end of you. Wow. (laughs) In that moment, I realized that my boy knew more than I did. And God was gracious to let me see that. I didn't have to be afraid. My boy knows God, and I have hope, and I'm confident that he is alive in heaven. You see, my hope is in a God who is kind. My hope is in a God who conquered death. My hope is in a God who can still keep and achieve his promises whether we're on earth or in heaven. My hope is in a God who won't leave us. My hope is in a God who is a good father. So a few thoughts of things we learned along the way. In our darkest moment, we had to be real with the people that were with us. It never helped when I bottled up my feelings. And I honestly didn't know how to deal with what I was feeling or even unpick the mishmash of all the emotions I was feeling. But an encouragement to anyone going through something difficult... Step one, be real. Name it. And that goes for with God as well as with your friends. We work out our hope in the context of a community of believers. You guys sang for me when I couldn't. and So many of you prayed for us. The stones and cottons particularly looked after us in ways we didn't even know were happening. In James's funeral booklet, I phrased it as, you held us up. You see, you helped point us to hope by just being lovely and kind and reflecting God's goodness back to us, even though that isn't what I knew was happening at the time. The week before James's funeral, we had to take Finley to hospital. He was seriously ill and had to have emergency operations on his bowel. 
And what followed was months of hospital visits and learning how to cope with stoma bags and fun things like that. And being completely honest, I was totally exhausted. And I was frightened that I would lose another son. In those moments, your kindness and food and visits held us up and pointed us to Jesus and the hope we have in him. For us, worship was the anchor. It helped us speak truth to our souls and to connect with God in a way that other things couldn't. And heaven is real. There's such a thin veil between earth and heaven, and so it's really moving to me when we sing songs about joining in with heaven, because for me that means I get to join in with James. And I also realized along this journey that James gets to live. You see, he gets to keep making God's kingdom come. And he has a role in heaven just like he would on earth. He just gets to access way cooler stuff now. And you know, we had a prophecy when James was born that angels would be in the room watching. And so I believe they will have known James and he will have known them when he got to heaven. I am comforted that God keeps his promises. He's going to have a lot of jars of tears in his house, labelled Joe McInnes. But I am confident in his promise to be near the brokenhearted. The promise that God is within her. She will not fall. I had to rely on that verse a lot these last few years, especially when Michael was born and then was ill in hospital. No one who hopes in God will ever be put to shame. That doesn't mean I don't still sit and cry at my washing machine now. I still get sad and often quite intensely, but I've learned to hold the happiness and the sadness in tension together. So how do I get to live with this hope? I get to live in freedom. I am not scared of death, and lots of things that used to faze me don't faze me anymore. This perspective has given me, has made a big difference to my life. And I get to join in with heaven The thin veil I've experienced makes it easier for me, especially in worship, to hear what the angels are singing and what heaven is doing and to join in. I get to be totally real with God. We have wrestled and we've been through a lot together, but I get to trust him in a really deep and meaningful way. And I get to entrust my kids to him, which is probably the scariest bit. We've done this in the naming of our kids. So Micah is Micah Zachary. Micah means who is like God, and Zachary means God remembers, and that pretty much sums it up for me. God is sovereign, but he isn't unkind. He remembers, and he knows. So my challenge is to you, if you're not in a place where hope is hard, I would challenge you to think about what you're cultivating now to make your roots deep and strong so that when darkness tries to invade, you have an anchor to hold on to. And if you are in that place where hope is hard, what choices are you making? You see, we had to choose to be real. We had to choose to be helped. We had to choose to worship. I had to choose to open my heart up again to him at my pace. We had to choose to be thankful for all that God did. And most often that would start with, thank you, God, for heaven for me. Thanksgiving helps us to keep going in the race. It doesn't take away what's happened, but it gives us some balance. So what are you choosing and who can help you make those good choices? But remember, God is gracious. He does understand. He knows. It just might not feel that way right now. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 verses 8 to 9, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
That's what he's like, and that's the hope that we have in him. It's awesome. So why don't we take another 30 seconds now just to allow the Holy Spirit to be speaking to us, to show us uh, if there's anything in particular he wants to put his finger on based upon what Joe said. Then at the end of that 30 seconds, we'll have the slide on the, on the back of the screen here that will show us all the different questions uh, for us to respond to in a moment. Okay, so behind me we have the three questions, the three challenges that these guys want to uh, throw out to us this morning. Uh, I'm just going to read through those really quickly, and then I'm just going to give us some space to respond. So the first one was Joe, and Joe has given us the challenge of God invites you to lean into him and in the times of waiting. What was it about Joe's talk that for you challenged you, and is there an invitation for you uh, to lean into him and engage with those times of waiting? Chad's question is, are you living for the treasures that can be gained in heaven? What is it about what Chad said to you that spoke to you that you know that you need to engage with this morning? And then finally, Joe, her question to us is, how are you nurturing hope so that when darkness comes, you have an anchor to hold on to? And if things are tough, are you choosing things that point you to God? So why don't we all stand? We're just going to create some space now for people to come and respond. And we're going to have some time to continue to worship together. But if there's anything that you've heard this morning, any of those questions that stand out to you, any challenges, any encouragements, anything at all that you feel like actually this morning you need to come and do business with God, we want to just uh, invite you to come and use the space at the front.